This teaching is brought to you by Christian Family Church International. Well, welcome again to all of those that are joining us this morning. You know, we had such a wonderful event take place, uh, a very special event on our annual calendar that is hosted by our welfare team here at Christian Family Church and is made possible through the generous donations and giving of all those people that are members of Christian Family Church. Our welfare did our orphans party yesterday just across the road in that car park. We hosted five orphanages full of children. Five orphanage of kids came together and, um, and we gave them all a Burger King meal, a burger, chips, and, uh, and a cool drink. And each and every kid that came got a gift. Their gifts ranged from between 150 to 185 rand, and they were really blessed. Did you know it was only possible because more than 30 volunteers from this ministry, part of our welfare team, rocked up and made that possible. So let's give the welfare team and just a great God bless you and thank you. I'm so, I'm so grateful to be part of a church that is actively involved in helping the community and helping these precious ones. They've got no parents, and Christmas can be a very lonely time of the year, so it was our privilege to be able to do that yesterday. So congratulations to our welfare team and each and every one of you. And I think that's a great way to introduce my message title this morning. The title of my message today is Jesus in the Second Mile. Jesus in the Second Mile. Yesterday we had a whole bunch of volunteers that really went the second mile to help these young children that don't have parents. And so turn with me please in your Bibles as I start to read from Matthew chapter 5 verses 38 to 42. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus says this, he says, you have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So this was Old Testament law that demanded vengeance or reciprocity for everything that was done But listen to what Jesus says. He says, you've heard this, but I say, do not resist an evil person. Now, this is going to be more clear and become more evident as I proceed in my message, but I want you to underline that in your Bible. The Bible says, do not resist an evil person. Now, this is for Ryan, our security manager. I don't know if you're around over here, but um, if you are, listen carefully. It says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, Offer the other cheek also. Now, I know why you're wondering, why is this relevant for Ryan? Well, a couple of weeks ago, we had a drug addict that rocked up at the church wanting to create a bit of ruckus. And Ryan went to go and try and help the guy and usher him out. As he was helping him, the guy gave him a short left. (laughs) Yeah, security manager. He got a short left. And so that's why I said, Ryan, you should have just stood up there and said, listen, why not hit me on the right also? I know what Ryan would say. It's only passed on, but it's not that I didn't want to. It's that I couldn't because I was... I was staggering all over the place. But these are, where's Ryan? Is he here? Wife, there we go, my son. How are you doing, Ryan? So that word is directly for you from the Lord today. God bless you. <laughs> so these are difficult words of Jesus. I mean, how many of you that are slapped are going to say, listen, that was so lovely. Give me another one. <laughs> this is not the focus of my message this morning, but still, I don't know about you, but this, these, these, these scriptures stretch me. He says, if you are sued in court, and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat also. So if someone sues you and wins the case, whether they're right or wrong, the Lord says, listen, give them more besides. I want you to see the huge contrast between the Old Testament the Old Testament demand or expectation of vengeance, and now the Lord Jesus saying, don't resist evil people. 
If they, if they slap you, give them the other cheek. If they take from you, give them more. And then he concludes this portion of Scripture by saying this. He says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, soldiers back then were loathed. They were hated by nearly everybody. And so Jesus is really expecting something significant. And in actual fact, Jesus is here referring to a custom that took place and was in practice during this time right here. You see, one translation says, if a soldier whomever shall compel thee to go a mile, in the New King James Version it says, in the scripture I've read it says demand. But the word compel is actually of Persian origin and comes from the time of Cyrus, who was the king of Persia. You see, back then, Cyrus, they didn't have post offices, so they couldn't get communiques cross-country. So what he would do is he would station soldiers on horseback at every major intersection on every major road. So if he wanted to get an instruction to another province, he would issue the decree, and one soldier would ride as fast as he could to the next one, and then the next one would run to the next one, and the next one would run, until eventually the, the message got to its intended destination. But along that route, these soldiers had the right to commandeer any horse, any boat, anything that they required to get the job done. This was a custom. So if you as a Jew were walking along the road and a soldier stopped and his horse was petered out or tired, he would just take your horse. You would be expected as the custom to give it to him, regardless of how much you liked him or not. You would be commanded to, you were expected to relinquish that thing and carry on. Now, this is the custom that Jesus is referring to. Now, that's tough. Imagine you driving on the road to church one morning and the blue light brigade comes past you and just pulls you over and said, listen, can you get out of your murk? This guy needs it. I'm just trying to create relevance and context here. Back then, the custom would be to say, sure, here we go, take it. But in actual fact, the custom meant more than that because some commentaries say not only to give of what it is expected of you, but to attend to the person. So you're expected not only to say, yeah, take my car, but listen, can I get you anything else? Would you like a meal? Can I perhaps wash your feet? Do you want me to take you to the intended destination? Is there any of your family members I could look after along the way? Now, this is quite foreign to us, but this is the custom to which Jesus was referring. And in this context, he's saying, not only when these guys demand something from you, go with them one mile. He says, go extra. Do more than what the custom expects. You see, one could say this, that voluntary service to the point of inconvenience was expected from everyone at the king's request. Now, we don't mind serving, but sometimes we don't want to serve if it inconveniences us. We want to look at our schedule to see, oh, it fits in over there. Okay, that will suit me. But the, the custom demanded inconvenience, and Jesus says, even more so. So Jesus here, in this portion of Scripture, when he says, go with the soldier two miles, Jesus here is demanding a readiness to submit to unreasonable demands of whatever kind rather than to fight and resist in order to glorify God and in order to be a witness for Christ. <laughs> very I was just as quiet. When I was reading this, I was saying, Jesus, help me. I've fallen short. I'm telling you now. I might lend my car to somebody I know, but somebody I don't. 
stretches me. You see, Jesus is only in the second mile. Let me give you an example. Yesterday during our welfare outreach to these orphans, a guy by the name of Rick Stain, he's been a member of the church for two years, was brought along by his wife to come and serve. And they were serving and being active, but Rick went the second mile. You see, he, he noticed a bunch of older youth that aren't so much into Father Christmas. After 12, I mean, Father Christmas, who's he? Just bring me the presents, give me the cash. I don't care where it comes from kind of thing. So these older kids, these older kids were just mulling around and planning to get up to mischief, as bored teenagers do. You know what he did? He got in his car of his own. Nobody asked him to. He went to the store. He went and bought soccer balls and beach balls, came back to the gas station, pumped them up, and gave them to these kids and allowed them to play soccer while all the other kids were getting their presents. I'm talking about going the extra mile. Now, Rick, I don't know if you were here, and he doesn't even know I was going to mention his name. But small little things like that. You see, many are called, few are chosen. And really, that's also the gist of my message. Many are called, few are chosen. And I've got nothing. I'm grateful for every person that volunteered. But today I'm talking about the people that just do the extra, that are prepared to be inconvenienced. He took money out of his own pocket and did that. Amazing. You know why Jesus required this of us? Is because our witness as Christians is really also only in the second mile. If Jesus is in the second mile, our witness as born-again believers is in the second mile. Let me give you another example. There's a gentleman by the name of Earl. Many of you have known Earl. If ever you've been through the Salvation Room, you would have seen him there, Earl Opperman. And again, he doesn't know I'm mentioning his name this morning. But what an extraordinary example of going the second mile. You see, Earl has been helping in the Salvation Room for many years. But do you know this year alone, he's been to church every single weekend. Not just every single weekend, but twice every single weekend. Do you know he's racked up a serve count in the salvation room of 106 services of service? Last year he did 90. The year before that he did 90. Now I know there are many wonderful people that work in the salvation room and are passionate about, about guiding and helping people grow from their salvation experience into their walk with Jesus. But guess what? If I was looking for someone to head up that, talk, that's, that type of ministry and had to evaluate somebody on their sheer determination, will participation, and sacrifice, going the extra mile, who do you think would stand out for me? Because you see, many are called, but few are. Jesus, we are about to find out in Scripture, works exactly the same way. If I was looking to interview people for that position, I would see how many people have got buy-in, how many have got skin in the game, how many people have really gone out of their way to help others. And that would be the person I would choose, not the one who talks the talk, but the one who walks the walk. So let us take a look at the biblical example of this. I've given you two examples of members of our church, but let's take a look at the biblical example. I'm referring here to, Exodus, to Genesis chapter 24, it's been commonly known as the camel test. The camel test. How many of you have heard of the camel test before? Can I see your hands? Wonderful. So this is new revelation for everyone. In actual fact, this account over here, when I read it for the very first time in the Bible, is what led me to call my second daughter, Rebecca. How many Rebeccas do we have in the house this morning? Wave at me if you're a Rebecca. 
and you're about to learn something if you're joining us on social media. Do you know the word Rebecca or the name Rebecca means beautifully ensnared? Watch out when you're dating someone like that. Beautifully ensnared. Before we get into Genesis 24, though, have I want us to note something. That this story of Rebecca and her watering the camels is not about uh, a, no, a nobody. You see, Rebecca was of nobility. She was of noble standing from a very good and a very powerful and a very strong family. Yet we find her involved in the menial task of getting water, going back and forth and getting water and serving, doing the difficult stuff. And let me say this as a caveat right now. Men, if you're looking for a wife, the princesses are found at the well. The toads are in the tower. Courting is not a fairy story. I can see the woman saying, how dare you, Pastor Andre, call woman toads in towers? Listen, when you read your fairy story about the prince and the frog, I was the frog in the story. So before you get offended by, but truly, men, if you want to find a woman, find someone, and you're going to, listen, if you're looking to date someone, I'm telling you now, this, is, this portion of Scripture today is going to give you the perfect guidelines of what you need to do. I can see a mass exodus of men going to try and find a well somewhere in Joburg. But, so let's pick up the story in verse 1 of Genesis 24, and let's see what it says. It says, Abraham was now a very old man, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. One day, Abraham said to his oldest servant, the man in charge of his household, take an oath by putting your hand under my thigh. Whoa. Sorry, but I have to stop there for a second. And I don't mean to minimize the importance of custom. Now, myself and Pastor Johnny are good friends. But I cannot imagine him calling me into his office and saying, <laughs> Do me a favor, Andre. Just put your hand right, not on, under. <laughs> now, if he could perhaps persuade me to do the under thing. The last thing I'm going to say is, well, let's pray together. And this is what Abram did. So Abram says to the servant, he says, come over here, just place your hand under my thigh, and let's pray together. <laughs> now, I know there's custom involved, but forgive me, I see the Bible in technicolor and in humor. So I've not studied that out, but I promise you that's the next thing I'm about to do before the Lord asks me to put my hand under anybody's thigh. But he says, I swear by the Lord of God of heaven and earth that you will not allow my son to marry one of these local Canaanite women. Go instead to the homeland, to my relatives, and find a wife there for my son Isaac. I want you to notice over here that this father was involved in the selection process of his son's spouse. And I believe today that as parents we have a responsibility. And it's, it's written throughout the scripture that parents have a responsibility in helping to choose the best suitor for their children. Because I'm telling you now, whether you're a boy or a girl, and to my girls I said, I don't care who you're dating and how in love you think you are, but they will never, ever, while dating you, love you as much as we have, sacrificed for you as much as we have, given to you as much as we have, and loved you as much as we have. That's never going to happen. In actual fact, I told my girls when they started dating, I said, your first date, should be not one at the milkshake shop where the guy can put on all the charm. Because I promise you, we guys can work it. If honey didn't drip from our mouths, you know, we'll tell you everything you need to hear. We've got a game plan. We've got a vision. We've got this. We want to be celibate, maybe. 
We'll make you all the promises under the sun. I said to my girls, when they invite you out, go to their home and see how their family functions. Because it's in that home environment that you'll see how the husband speaks to his wife, how the parents speak to their daughter and to their child. I said, because truth be told, that's exactly what's going to happen if you choose to marry this man. What happened there is going to be reflected here. So make sure there's good, then this will also be good. Is that good advice? And the same is true for parents with, with the same is true for parents with sons. Anyway, I'm digressing and moving off the subject, but I just wanted to add those two things in there. Let's continue reading. For the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. Now listen what he says. He says, and he will send his angel ahead of you, and he will see to it that you find a wife there for my son. Then he loaded 10 of Abram's camels with all kinds of expensive gifts from his master, and he traveled to the distant land of Aram Naharaham. It took me a while to get that one right. Aram Naharaham. Can you imagine? I live on the corner of Aram Naharaham, and I just said, huh? How do I get there? There he went to the town of Abram's brother Nahor, where his brother Nahor had settled. He made the camels kneel beside the well just outside the town. Why would he have done that? Obviously because he had come a long way, the camels were thirsty, and so he positions them right next to a well with the intention of watering the camels perhaps himself. It was evening, and just coincidentally, women were coming out to draw water. Now, Eliezer must have seen a great opportunity over here. Although he could have done the job, he must have thought to himself, if I'm about to, I'm in the land where, my, where Abram has sent me, if I'm going to find a woman over here. And mind you, Abram didn't ask him to do any of this. So I want you to read between the lines and see an employer-employee relationship over here that extends way beyond the ordinary. This Eliezer really had the heart of Abraham and the heart of Isaac carried with him. And so yeah, he's sitting by the well and he said, this is as good a place as any to choose a wife. And a good wife would do the following things. And so he begins to pray to the Lord. But, but before he prays this prayer, I believe that Eliezer understood that there are really two types of people in the world, and in this case, two types of women. The type who are takers and the others who are givers. All these women were coming to the world to take something. They were all coming to get something. And that's good, and he didn't mind the getting, but he wanted a wife for Isaac that was a giver and not just a taker. Let me tell you, if you're dating someone, all they do is take, take, take all the time. Take your joy, take your money, take your places you don't want to go. They are not the one for you. So he knew there are two types of people in the world. Why? Because you see, majority of the people out there want the blessing the camels carry, but not the work of watering them. They want the blessing but they don't want the work. And the blessing was right there next to the well. If you do the work at the well, you got the blessing on the camels. You see, most only do what is required and no more. Hardly anybody wants to go the second mile anymore. And if they do, they carefully select for whom they will go the second mile. Why? Because they think in their mind, one day I'm going to call a favor in. Let's continue. Now, at this juncture is where he prays. And he says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show 
unfailing love to my master Abraham. According to Eliezer, how would he have considered God showing unfailing love to Abraham? By answering Abram's prayer. Talk about going the second mile. I want you to notice the seriousness and prayerfulness with which Eliezer considers this task that Abram has given him. He says this, See, I'm standing here beside the spring, and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, Please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. So he says, Lord, out of all these women coming to get something, help me choose the one who's prepared to give. And I will consider that person to be the one that you have chosen, not me, you've chosen. He's saying, Lord Jesus, reveal to me. He didn't pray to Jesus, he prayed to God. But Lord, reveal to me the woman out of all of these that is prepared to go the second mile. Because Jesus and the blessing is in the second mile. Again, many are called, few are chosen. He wants the one that is chosen. This is how I will know, he says, that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring. Now, that's important. Underline that in your Bible. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. Running over to her, the servant said, Please give me a little drink of your water jug. Now, this is very, very significant. Listen to her response. She says, Yes, my Lord, she answered. Have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. Now, if I was Rebecca and someone asked me for a drink, I would have said, Here, help yourself. Why? <laughs> there we go. He asked for a little. And so there's three concepts that I extract from the scripture that I believe the Lord wants to leave with us today. And the first one is this. Take a look there. When asked for little, give much. He asked for a little water. She gave him a whole bucket. This is the life, folks, that the Lord has called us to. So when asked for little, give much. Look at the next one. When ordinary will do, be extraordinary. Determine in your heart today that you are going to be that extraordinary Christian that goes out of the way, that when you leave the room, people say, gee, man, that guy's not average. Or that woman's not average. There's something about them. And thirdly, look at this. When good enough will suffice, go for great. How many of you want to go for great today? Can I see your hands? Why? Because Jesus is in the? Jesus is in the? Say this, Lord. By your grace, make me a second miler. Praise the Lord. So when she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too. Until it had enough to drink. Enough and all the camels. There were ten of them, okay? So she quickly emptied her jug in the watering trough and ran back. Notice that 
ran. That alone will preach. She ran to do the extra. She did what was expected. She was asked for little, but she gave much. The Bible says she ran back. Now, here's this young girl with a bucket that holds about 10 liters of water. Can you imagine running to serve a guy she doesn't even know? No doubt the jewels on the camel were hidden, so she didn't see all the stuff. But she just had it in her heart to want to help a complete stranger. And this is really the heart of service. It's a willingness, Christ appealing and working through us, to want to serve and help people. She said that she ran back to the well to draw water for the camels. Now, you may not know this, but do you know an average camel can hold 114 liters of water? which translated to kilograms is 114 kilograms. Now, my math may be a bit off, so please forgive me if I don't hit it on the head, but, but 10 camels is nearly 1.1 tons that this young lady didn't just do this with. She ran down, lowered it into the well, picked it up, came back. She did 100, and she, actually, I've written it down here. She did 114 trips, excluding lowering, and picking up the, <laughs> Jesus help me, save me, <laughs> because I'm telling you now, I, there's just no wonder. I wish it was a man that had done this. <laughs> it hurts me. I, I get cut deep. I'm sure if I looked hard enough, I'd find a, a man in Scripture that did exactly the same thing. But yeah, I struggled, man. I looked. Talk about going the extra mile. Now listen to this. The servant watched her. Eliezer watched her in silence, wondering whether or not the Lord had given him success in his mission. And I'm thinking chivalry's dead. I'm thinking, listen, you're not helping my cause here, brother. You're sitting watching this girl run up and down, up and down. Could you not have jumped in and helped her? And maybe put a good foot forward in case Isaac didn't want her. Maybe you could have scored. Do something, man. But he didn't. And then it dawned upon me. Why Eliezer watched her instead of helping her? Because he understood, listen to the wisdom. He understood that there are those that make generous offers, but do an inadequate job. He didn't want a talker. He wanted a doer. He didn't want, a, he didn't want somebody talked about going the extra mile. Yeah, pastor, I'll help you with this. Yes, we'll do this. We'll go there, do that. Phone them. Boop, boop, boop. Leave a message. Please get back to me. I want you to serve. Mm. Another thing, there are others who may do the job. And although they make no demands, they expect some form of compensation or gratitude eventually. You see, Eliezer continued watching to see her approach to carry out the difficult task. These moments would be extremely telling as to whether her offer stemmed from a genuine desire to help someone or if it was, there was an underlying motive. Let's read further. In Scripture, it says, Then at last, so this must have taken a long time, Then at last, when all the camels had finished drinking, he took out a gold ring for her nose and two large gold bracelets for her wrists. Whose daughter are you, he said. I have found a needle in a haystack. Whose daughter are you, he asked. And please tell me, would your father have any room to put us up for the night? This is how she responds. I'm a daughter of the field, she replied. My grandparents are Nahorn Milker. Yes, we have plenty of straw and feed for the camels. I'd be saying, I didn't ask about the camels. I want a bed. What's this woman's story with the camels? 
You know what? She's focused on the second mile and not on the first. She's focused on the extra and not on what's expected. Lord Jesus, make us the type of Christians that focus on the extra and not just on what is expected. Anyway, there's a dialogue that goes on between them, and I want to pick it up because I'm running out of time here. It says, then Laban and Bethuel replied. She went back. She told, she told them everything that ha had happened, and um, she came home, and actually, it was something I wanted to. No, I wanted to mention this. Forgive me. Let me go back. So the young woman ran home to tell her family everything that had happened. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban. Yes, that one. The same Laban that took advantage of Jacob. The same Laban was her brother. This guy runs to the well after he sees the jewels on his sister. You always get those people that ride on the curtain tails of everybody that's prepared to go the second mile. So he rocks up over there and he says, oh, man of God, while with one eye on the camera, I don't know. I'm just paraphrasing. But knowing Laban the way I do, he was obviously squint and he had one eye on the camel and one eye. Oh, man of God, it's so wonderful to have you with us. You can see the character traits of Laban already coming out over here. And he <laughs> so after this happened, now Rebecca had a brother named Laban who ran out to meet the man at the spring. He had seen the nose ring, the bracelets on his sister's wrists. Man, this guy thought, I'm in for it. I'm going to get a reward. I'm going to sell my sister off and be rich. That's another message. Then Laban and Bethuel replied, the Lord has obviously brought you here, so there is nothing we can say. Here is Rebecca. Take her. The last verses, 53 to 58, conclude, and it says this, And Isaac brought Rebecca into his mother Sarah's tent, and she became his wife. He loved her deeply, and she was a special comfort to him. You see, folks, and I'm going to conclude with this, that Rebecca grasped a divine principle that really was way ahead of her time. Because of her heart for God, and her upbringing, she understood that Jesus is in the second mile. And that any labor, frustration, or inconvenience that we go through in service for God's people, if we gift that to God, we will always be blessed and walk in a place of grace that sees us prosperous. Now, Let's consider for a moment the rewards that Rebecca reaped as a result of her heart attitude and willingness to go the second mile. Number one, when many are called, she was chosen. Number two, the favor of God was upon her. Why? Because she was prepared to go into the second mile. She was blessed, specifically financially, all those gifts on the camels, and more besides, the inheritance of Abraham was passed down to her. Look at her reputation. She is remembered in Scripture for eternity. Why? Just because she started her life by watering some camels. She was loved. The Bible says that he took her into his tent and he loved her. Isaac loved her. Most importantly of all, she forms part of the lineage of Christ, of Jesus, all because her ministry started by going the second mile. We want to help you go the second mile. Pastor Johnny spoke about this card last week. We printed a whole lot of these little business cards that you can keep in your wallet. Mine is in a transparent sleeve in my wallet. So if I open my wallet, straight away I see this little card over there. It says, something extra to show God loves you. They're not this size. They're small, wallet size, okay? This is just an example for those watching. 
It says something extra to show God loves you. And so do we, Christian Family Church International. I want you on your way out today to go and collect some of these cards. Put them in your wallet. If you're at the gas station, tip the guy extra. Be generous. Go the second mile. If people tip 10%, tip 20, 30, 40, 50%. I promise you, listen, you can't outgive God. And with that tip, give them this. Just something extra to show God loves you. If you serve someone or apply to someone, whether it be in a government department, post office, or whatever, go out of your way to go the extra mile and, and just slip them this card. Uh, night before last, I was at Spur, and I gave the guy a huge tip. He was, did a great job. I gave him a huge tip, and I, and I gave this card to him. I said, that, that tip's for you, but this card is for you. He put the machine down. He didn't even do the transaction. He got this, and he read the card. Something extra to show God loves you. And so he put it in his pocket so proudly. And he said, thank you, sir. Put that card in his pocket. It almost like he valued that more than the tip, although I doubt it. But anyway, it was like he did. But, but so get these cards. And you know what it is? When I open my wallet, it's a motivator to be generous. It motivates me to be generous. So we have these cards for you. Thank you for joining us during this episode of Living Life with Dr. Theo and Bev Volmerantz. We hope that through this inspired teaching, you had an encounter with God. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of Apostle Theo and Dr. Bev Volmerantz and would like to enjoy more resources, we hope you will visit our website at www.christianfamilychurch.co.za or for our American listeners, www.christianfamilychurchsa.com.